This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com slash podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Wednesday, September the 26th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones. I'm joined in the studio with Motley Fool contributor Todd Campbell via Skype. On today's show, we're diving into one of the most widely anticipated trial readouts for Amarin and their fish oil pill, believe it or not. And we'll also be revealing our favorite biotech picks. That's all in this week's episode of Industry Focus Healthcare. But Todd, I don't know about you, but for me, September has been a wild and very interesting month for the biopharma world. Oh, absolutely. And it got to be this Amarin Vicepa data that we just got has got to you know, rank in the top five, at least, of, uh, of, of crazy things that we've seen in biopharma this month, maybe if not higher. Yeah, I definitely would say it's got to be within the top five. I would dare say it's probably maybe number two or three even, just given uh, the anticipation leading up to the trial, uh, everything that's happened prior to the trial, and really what the results showed. And we'll get into all of that. Um, But first, Todd, I know you and Christine did an awesome uh, background or leading up to this cardiovascular outcome study. Um, and that took place, that was the first Wednesday in September. So I'd really encourage our listeners to go back, listen to that episode, because they did an awesome job just setting the stage uh, of this binary event, really, for Amarin. Um, but let's just give a very brief backgrounder to our listeners that are catching up, and let's just tell them why this trial was so, so important for Amarin. All right. So Amarin markets a drug called Vicepa. And Vicepa is a purified omega-3 fatty acid. Uh, we'll call it EPA or EPA. And it's been on the market since 2012 for use in reducing triglycerides, so fat in the blood, um, in patients that have very high triglyceride readings, so greater than 500 milligrams per deciliter. The approval in the very high population, however, uh, it only scratches the surface of the addressable market because there are literally tens of millions of patients that have elevated triglycerol levels. Now, Amarin had conducted a trial to see whether or not patients with moderate triglyceride levels, 150 to 500, would benefit from Vicepa. And sure enough, their triglyceride levels fell in that trial. But the FDA said, you know what? We're not going to approve its use in that moderate patient population because, frankly, no one has proven that lowering triglycerides, again, fat in the bloodstream, uh, actually translate into saving people's lives, reducing the risk of major cardiovascular events like stroke and heart attack and, yes, death. Uh, About 800,000, I think, people die every year from cardiovascular events. Amarin, recognizing that the big money was to be made in being able to roll this drug out to a much bigger, broader population, began conducting a study to tie and make that link. That yes, if you take Vicepa, it will lower triglycerides. And yes, if it lowers triglycerides, that will indeed save people's lives and prevent heart attack and stroke. 
Seven years in the making, the study has finally read, read out results. And sure enough, Shannon, it was, uh, I would say, as good as they could have hoped for. Yeah, and really even better. And I mean, I think it's safe to say, too, expectations leading up to this trial, while everyone was anxious to see exactly what the readout would be, um, I would honestly say the expectations were relatively low, just given the multiple study failures when it comes to cardiovascular outcome studies, the most recent one being the ASCEND study, which effectively found that generic fish oils, and granted, relatively low dose compared to the SEPA in this study, weren't effective in the prevention of these cardiovascular events. Um, of course, AMRO was very quickly to come out and counter uh, the results of that study, really uh, reiterating and reemphasizing the purity um, of VESEPA. And as you talked about with EPA and not a mixture of all these other types of fatty acids. Um, right. DHA, Shannon, right, elevating bad cholesterol levels is thought to have been why the supplements failed because, you know, those supplements also include DHA alongside EPA. That's not the case with VESEPA, it is pure EPA. Yes, and Amarin has been really driving that point home. And so this study, um, leading up to the study, it's really been um, on the top of everyone's mind looking to see if indeed that makes a difference. And just like you said, it sounds like it did. So let's dive right in. What exactly did Amarin find in this particular trial, Todd? All right, so they enrolled patients that had bad cholesterol levels that were controlled by statins. So we're talking patients who take statins, which are the most commonly prescribed drugs in the world. I think 38 million Americans alone take statins every day for their high uh, bad cholesterol. So they enrolled patients that were on cholesterol uh, controlling medications, but still had high triglyceride levels. What they found is that taking four grams per day of the SEPA translated into an additional 25% reduction in the risk of a major cardiovascular event, including stroke, heart attack, and death. 25%. And that, Shannon, is on top of the 25% reduction in risk that's historically been associated uh, with taking statins. So a really remarkable finding. Absolutely, yes. I think, uh, honestly, I think uh, Wall Street and really the scientific community would have been fine with 15% reduction in risk. So to see 25% really wowed everybody. Um, we'll get more detailed data uh, moving forward. We've got the American Heart Association meeting happening November the 10th. Specifically for me, um, I'm really curious to dig into the slicing and dicing of the data a little bit more, um, because what you see with a lot of these cardiovascular outcome studies are these composite endpoints. Um, and the endpoints basically, as you mentioned, Todd, they're looking at a number of different events. You talked about stroke, um, heart attack, death even. And so they combine all of those endpoints into one, and that's really what they reported out on uh, this week. So what we'll see coming into November is just more detail into that. I'm also curious to see which patient groups responded better than others. And also, too, I mean, with so much focus being on triglyceride levels, I'm really curious to see just how much uh, VESEPA was able to lower those levels, too. So those are kind of the things that are in the top of my mind heading into that meeting. Yeah, the big question that every investor is going to have is how big could this drug get, right? I think we did 200, we did 180 million, I think, in sales last year. I think they were targeting 230 million for this year already, and that's just on the severe high triglyceride approval way back in 2012. 
I think that totally undersells it now that this data is out. I would not be surprised if cardiologists are going to be talking to their patients about this drug very, very soon because it is, again, potentially a life-saving drug. Now, I happen to have family members who have a history of stroke. My father, for example, um, is on statins and other drugs to try and, and rein in that risk. And he had told me in the past that he was on fish oil pills. So when I saw this data, I called him up and I said, hey, did you see this great data? He goes, oh yeah, I stopped taking my fish oil pills because of that failed study of the over-the-counter supplements. It wouldn't be shocking to me if my dad's cardiologist, a lot of people's cardiologists, uh, start having a conversation with them about Vasepa because, you know, again, 25% relative risk reduction on top of the statins is pretty remarkable. And this is a massive addressable market. Uh, Amarin, you know, estimates that over 50 million adults in the United States have triglyceride uh, level readings that are above 150 megali- milligrams per deciliter. And that, you know, obviously they won't get that big, but is there the potential for this to be a blockbuster, billion dollar blockbuster drug? I think there is now. Absolutely. I mean, I've heard the the terms being thrown around as a true game changer, paradigm shift in how we treat patients. Um, and I really think, to your point, you will start to see the the uptake in prescribing habits uh, when it comes to Vasepa, even before. So Amarin is actually aiming to file the supplemental ND, NDNA by early 2019. Um, anticipated approval within this specific indication coming by late 2019. But I I fully anticipate you'll see a bump up in sales even before that. Um, Another interesting thing, too, so there's there's not really an immediate direct competitor for Amarin in this space right now. Um, The closest one is actually AstraZeneca. They've got right now a strength trial. They're also looking at a four-gram daily dose of their drug, it's interesting, though, because for AstraZeneca, their drug is one of those mixed omega-3 fatty acids, and I believe it's called Epinova. Um, that will be reading out in 2019, but I think it is, will be a really interesting readout to see what can we extract from that study. Are there any read-throughs when it comes to dosing level? Um, it's just going to be an exciting 2019, to say the least. Yeah, very much so. We're definitely going to want to watch those prescription trends over the course of the next few quarters for this company. It's also going to be interesting to see whether or not a larger company decides to step up uh, ahead of the AstraZeneca data or they end up waiting until that data is out to see whether or not uh, what that competitive landscape may look at look like further on down the road. Um, Vesepa really is the the only engine in the car that is Amarin. So it'll be really interesting to see what ends up happening with this company in, in the next year or two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, always good to have positive trial news, especially in biopharma land, um, and especially too to see this with a drug that's not your typical biotech drug. It is literally fish oil. Um, and so, to see uh, the rise, and even we even saw this, of course, too, with uh, CBD and marijuana. Someone well said um, in the bio Twitter world that this is really the year of natural medicines, I think, making a run for it. So, Fascinating stuff, really great science. Um, and so we'll be keeping an eye on that. We'll be sure to keep our listeners uh, up to speed with all the comings and goings uh, of who may be entering this market space. But first, uh, we'll want to switch gears and we're going to talk about our personal top biotech picks on the other side of the break. But first, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. 
As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they have created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast. And we're back. And as fascinating as Ameren's fish, po- fish oil pill is, there's an equally fascinating company on Todd Campbell's radar right now, and really in one of the hottest areas in biotech right now, which is gene therapy. Uh, and gene therapy really brings with it the promise of novel one-time treatments that target really the underlying causes of disease at the genetic level. So, Todd, tell us about your top pick and why you love it so much. You know, this is going to sound kind of funny for me to talk about this because oftentimes I'll say to people who ask, you know, I typically try to avoid young, early stage companies because the risk of trial failure is so high. Yet every once in a while, there'll be a company that has some pretty remarkable competitive advantage that, you know, basically makes me stand up and go, hmm, you know, this is kind of an interesting company. and It's definitely one worth exploring a little bit more. And that was the case with this stock, Regenex Bio. And the symbol there is R-G-N-X. And the reason um, that I'm really interested and intrigued by this company, well, it's twofold. They have a proprietary collection of adeno-associated viral vectors. And those AAVs um, can be used to enable gene therapies to get into the tissue and actually do the work of you know, creating that genetic, that change um, in the way that the genes function. So, you know, there's about 6,000 diseases that are caused by genetic mutations. So the whole concept with gene therapy is to be able to go in and either restore the gene function by adding um, some genetic code or to restore, you know, appropriate gene function by deleting a part of code, uh, which we've talked about in the past in the show. which is called gene editing. Now, Regenex Bio's AAVs are intriguing because what they'll, they're used for is they're used to deliver the gene therapy into the tissue to make the change and theoretically restore correct genetic function. They argue that their AAVs are the best there are out there, that their AAV platform will not only um, create less of an immune reaction within patients that they're given to, but so that allows for more durable, long-lasting results. Um, but they're going to be easier and cheaper to manufacture too, uh, which removes a big hurdle in, that's been overhanging the gene therapy market. Yeah. And so you've got a really novel platform um, and it sounds like too, they're going to be targeting some really high unmet need areas as well. What can you tell us about the indications they're going after, Todd? So they have two business approaches. The first business approach is a licensing, licensing approach where they allow drug makers to come in and license the use in the, of their AAVs uh, in exchange for some upfront money, maybe some uh, milestone payments depending on their clinical trial success, and then royalties if a drug is eventually commercialized. That's, that's one part of their business model. The other part of their business model is to develop their own internal candidates for genetic diseases 
um, that they can usher through their own clinical trials and theoretically either partner out later on or, uh, or just go ahead and, and launch them on their own. Um, the, their own projects are pretty early stage projects, but one of those projects that's most advanced is incredibly intriguing because it targets wet age-related macular degeneration, a multi-billion dollar market that's dominated by uh, ILIA, a $5.2 billion a year drug. And their goal is to develop a gene therapy that can be a one and done or maybe a two, you know, <laughs> twice a year, who knows, right? We'll see. Um, therapy that would avoid the need for patients with it, with AMD to go into the office every three months or eight weeks or whatever and have to have an injection done in their eye to help restore their vision. That is particularly exciting to me because they reported some data this past summer from a phase one study that showed that there was a dose-dependent uh, reaction to, um, to their medication, to their gene therapy, and that half of the patients in the highest dose cohort were injection-free after six months. They're actually continuing that study, ramping up to include another dose cohort that's a higher dose, uh, and data from that additional cohort could be available before the end of this year. Phase two trials could begin for that medicine as soon as 2019. So that's on the internal program side. On the external program side, the closest drug that's to commercialization is a Novartis gene therapy for spinal muscular atrophy, SMA. Earlier this year, Novartis went out and spent $8.7 billion to acquire Avexis to get its hands on this drug, AVX101. And they plan to file um, for FDA approval of that drug soon, potentially getting that drug on the market next year. If so, if the FDA gives it the go-ahead, then Regenix Bio should be able to collect mid-single digits to low double-digit royalties on sales. And that's significant, Shannon, because the one drug that's out there right now for use in that indication is Biogen Spinraza. And that's tracking, I want to say, at $1.5 billion in sales per year as of the last quarter. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for our listeners that have been following along, I mean, Spinraza had a phenomenal launch trajectory. Granted, it's been uh, tapering off over time, but um, when you think about the closest competitors, Avexis really um, is kind of the top of mind for many investors right now in terms of how the dynamics would change once they come to market, if they come to market, if the data are worthy of approval. Um, Going back to what you were mentioning, I'm really intrigued. Um, this wasn't a company I didn't follow. I haven't really been following at all, really, until you mentioned it, Todd. But that wet AMD indication is extremely intriguing for a couple of reasons. One, um, you mentioned about the patient populations. That's that's a population that's really only going to increase as you see the baby boomer generation continuing to grow and live longer. Um, you talked about the competitive landscape with ILEA. You've also got Lucentis, Avastin, um, and those, of course, require multiple doses. So if Regenix Bio can get a one-and-done or close-to-one-and-done approach, I think the opportunity is huge here. It'll be really, really interesting to see if this gets approved, 
where pricing will fall. Because, of course, with gene therapies, um, we know that they can easily command hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, And compared to the competitive landscape, that would be a huge jump for many prescribers and patients. So, I think the opportunity is interesting. will be really, really interesting to watch that space, too. Yeah, and maybe you end up with some novel pricing programs to get announced if this thing ever does make it to market. And again, we're talking way out in the future, and and I always want to rat, tamp down on a little bit of enthusiasm because the the information that we've seen so far is space space one. I mean, it's as early stage data as you can get. Um, but you make a great point because you know if you're talking about right now, patients normally getting six or seven injections per year. So you multiply the cost of that inject every, each one of those injections, and then you say, well, what if I'm diagnosed with wet AMD, I'm 70, and I end up living till 85? The next 15 years, I'm going to have six of these injections per year. Um, how do you price that? And so that will be interesting. That's, but, but I think it's a multi-billion dollar indication, and theoretically, this could shake it up if data in phase two and eventually in phase three confirm what you know we saw in this very, very small um, phase one cohort. And Todd, what do you think in terms of their cash runway right now? Do you feel like they've got enough on the books right now to fund those trials moving forward? They'll need to tap cash for at some point, um, tap into uh, tap uh, investors for cash at some point, and maybe that'll be a little bit dilutive. That's not unexpected for uh, clinical stage companies. But one of the things reasons that I like this company, Shannon, is because it does have the potential to bring in those royalty payments beginning next year. And that will offset the risk and slow the cash burn for this company. So, I mean, they have about $306 million on the books right now. I think they're projecting that they're going to finish the year with somewhere between $250 and $260 million on the books. Um, that should give them, you know, some pretty good runway. Uh, and then we'll have to see, obviously, what happens with AVX 101 at the FDA and whether or not Novartis can sex- successfully launch that out against um, Spinraza. Yeah, so, so much to look forward to in 2019. And really, this is a truly an interesting company. Uh, gene therapy has really uh, taken off and has really gained so much investor enthusiasm and support. Um, we'll see where that one goes, but let's turn over to my top pick. Um, and my top pick is actually a company called Neurocrine Biosciences, and that ticker symbol is NBIX. And the reason why this is my top pick, um, and it's really one of my favorite stocks, primarily because I've actually been holding on to it for about three years now. Um, I got in very, uh, I got in early before Ingreza got approved. Was really impressed with some of the late stage data, um, and two, they had a really solid cash position even at the end of 2015. And then they also had the backing and credibility of a, of a well-funded partner, which was AbbVie at the time, too, um, and still is their partner. And so, for me, it checked a lot of the boxes, kind of like you, Todd. Um, I try not to get too excited uh, with companies that are um, yet to have an approved drug on the market. But this one really caught my eye just because, A, it was kind of floating under the radar, but was really generating some early traction. So. Just to give our listeners kind of an overview, neurocrine biosciences is focused on neurological and endocrine-based diseases. Um, their first commercialized drug is uh, Ingreza. That was actually approved in April of 2017, uh, became available um, commercially in May. Um, and really, this is a drug that's been 
indicated to treat uh, a disease called tardive dyskinesia, and it's an involuntary movement disorder um, that can often be associated with antipsychotic medications. And that's important for a couple of reasons that I'll get to in a minute. Um, but this particular drug um, has really, in terms of launch trajectory and sales ex- expectations, has really kind of blown them out of the roof. So uh, just looking back, um, Ingresa generated about $97 million in net product sales in the second quarter of 2018. That's up from $71 million in the first quarter of 2018, giving them about $168 million in net product sales in the first half of the year. Um, this is important because they were really expecting a very slow launch trajectory. And when I talk about um, tardive dyskinesia and it's associated with antipsychotic medications, one of the reasons is because of the patient population. Um, when you think about it, patients that are on antipsychotics, and it's not even confined just to that, but patients that are on that tend to have much lower compliance and adherence rates than other therapeutic classes. So they were really kind of expecting a much lower launch and trajectory. Um, generally speaking, for that patient class, you're looking at compliance rates of about 60 to 70 percent. Ingresa has exceeded that um, and has been able to hold uh, well above that level. It'll be interesting to see if that does start to taper off over time. But what that says is that not only are prescribers prescribing it, but patients are more willing to take it, especially as it relates to being able to suppress many of these involuntary movements that are coming about for um, and caused really by an irregular dopamine signal that's happening in the brain. Ingresa is really indicated to stop that mechanism, and so far so good with uh, with the launch and the sales. I was so I was actually surprised. I mean, I I missed this stock, and when you talk when you started talking about it, I was like, wow, I really have to do some more work on this name because this is a fascinating story. The fact that they're already Grow uh, at ninety-seven million per quarter, uh, and, and that's up from seventy-one from Q1. Q1. That's that's darn impressive. And what's even more impressive is as I was looking through um, the the ten Q and some of the other filings, looking at the fact that you know that may not be it for Ingresa. It looks like they're also evaluating its use in other indications, specifically Tourette's. Yes, and that's going to be a really exciting uh, indication. I think the read-through, because again, Tourette's is another neurological movement disorder. Um, I think the read-through to that is huge. That's another multi-billion dollar opportunity as well. Um, One kind of side thought to that, too, um, is when you look at the marijuana market, you see CBD also potentially being studied in the same indication. Um, So you see a lot of uh, darts being thrown at the target. So I'll be watching that. But yes, we've got a Tourette's label expansion that's also uh, coming up with Ingresa. And that's not to say that it stops there. So Ingresa was the first uh, approved therapy. Um, Also in late July 2018, in partnership with AbbVie, um, there is now a drug on the market called Orlissa. Um, and so AbbVie right now has exclusive worldwide commercialization rights, and Neurocrine receives about a 20% royalty on sales. But what's interesting um, about partnering with AbbVie, AbbVie is really known for being kind of like the label expansion king. <laughs> they do that really well. Granted, um, they have their ups and downs, but they do that really well. So it's really interesting in seeing um, their partnership with Neurocrine here, because right now, 
uh, Orlissa is uh, approved for moderate to severe endometriosis pain and is the first FDA-approved oral treatment for the management of moderate to severe pain associated with endometriosis in over a decade. So the drug hit the market just last month. Uh, it's providing yet another source of revenue for a fairly new commercial stage company. We'll be keeping a very close eye on the launch numbers heading into the latter half of this year for that. But that could be easily another $1.5 to $2 billion opportunity. Um, I talked about label expansions. Uterine fibroids is another indication that they'll be looking into. Just had some really positive phase three data in that indication, too. Uh, So, yeah, so they've got multiple shots on target here. And really, if you look at their pipeline, there's some other really interesting products, too. Yeah, uh, just to really quickly on that, Orlissa, that $1.5 billion in peak sales. I mean, if, they, if everything goes its way, like you said, Abby being so good at expanding labels, conducting trials, getting the most out of their drugs, you could actually get up to that $300 million run rate uh, in royalties for Neurocreen, which would just be pretty, pretty fantastic. You talked a little bit about the pipeline. One of the things I wanted to kind of see what your thoughts were on is What's what do you make of this move into uh, Parkinson's or this licensing deal that it um, did last year for that Parkinson's disease drug? Yeah, that one's an interesting to me, uh, Todd. So for um, our listeners, um, the drug is called a picapone, and it's currently being studied in Parkinson's disease. Um, I will say it is approved in Europe as an adjunct therapy um, in the disease, so it's got some kind of positive read through here. Um, particularly as they look to file in the U.S., which could happen as soon as the first half of 2019. Um, Anytime I hear Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, I'm a little hesitant. (laughs) Um, I try not to get my hopes up too much just because those are are diseases that, honestly, we haven't quite figured out what causes it yet first. And so for me, when I'm looking at uh, a potential investment in biotech, Um, I always like to know that the science is well-backed and well-understood. This is just one of those areas where I don't feel like we've got a strong enough hold on what actually causes the disease yet. So I'm a little little on the fence on that one, Todd. Yeah, you know, and I understand, absolutely understand. What's the failure rate in Alzheimer's disease clinical trials? I think it's like 99%. 99, yes. Really crazy. (laughs) I do think, though, I mean, I'm just putting on my hat for a second. I do think, though, this is a little bit de-risked. For two reasons. One, you've got the EU approval already in hand, right? Um, Two, you've got the fact that this isn't a game-changing medication. It's a medication that helps the most commonly used Parkinson's disease drug work better. And I think that that adjunct status, if you will, um, also um, de-risks this compound. If it can get approved, right, this could be, you know, a big deal because I think there's 60,000 people in the U.S. alone that are getting diagnosed with Parkinson's disease every year. And I think there's about a million people with Parkinson's disease. So if if this drug does reduce the off time that people suffer when they take levodopa, then um, I think you'll see it get pretty widely used. And yet again, you have another drug that could push this company towards profitability, right? Absolutely. And they're very, very close to profitability. Uh, speaking of, so net loss for the most recent quarter was uh, $5.9 million, And that was compared to a loss of $60 million, um, in the same period for 2017. So, 
even before accounting for the Orlissa cells that uh, just came onto the market here in August. I mean, they're they're extremely close. And to your point, going back to the Parkinson's opportunity, I mean, that to me could be a huge game changer for this company itself. We're talking about Ingresa, we're talking about these other drugs that are already approved. This could really um, put neurocrine biosciences on a completely different level, completely different scale, if that works. Another thing I really, really love about this company is that management, this company has been around, I think, since the early 90s, but the management team in place right now um, is particularly tight when it comes to expense control, um, and they do just a phenomenal job of just kind of level-setting expectations. They will usually tend to set expectations on the lower end when they do, um, but just looking at even their cash position, they had $800 million at the end of June. Now you've got sales coming in. Now you've got uh, royalty payments coming in. They are well positioned to fund many of these trials, especially in um, uh, an indication like Parkinson's. So, feel pretty good there. Um, granted, I got in on Neurocrine um, three years ago, so the valuation has jumped up quite a bit since then. Uh, don't plan to sell anytime soon, but definitely is a bit lofty for right now. Yeah, I just took a quick look before we started recording the show. The price to book was like 28 and the price to sales is like 33 on future. So, that it's definitely not a cheap stock, but that being said, the valuation could get brought in check if if the growth happens more quickly than the estimates go up. I mean, we have right now Yahoo uh, I went on and looked at the analyst average analyst estimates over the last 90 days and $1.89 per share in earnings expected in 2019. And that's up from $1.43 90 days ago. So that's a pretty significant increase in the past 90 days. Absolutely. So, yes, definitely a stock to watch. Um, and really, of all the stocks we've talked today, so many interesting things happening, so many novel disease targets and indications. Um, certainly be sure to add them to your watch list. And for us, that is it for this week's Industry Focus Healthcare Show. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and Fool On! These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast.